Well, while that's while the recording's getting going there, I'd like to thank everybody who came out uh, yesterday for the workday out at the Clark's. Got a huge amount done. Their garden area is now pretty much prepped. I think they're getting some more topsoil in that'll get all spread out. But uh, uh, all of the the hard work of digging things out and getting things spread out and tilling and all of those sorts of things were done yesterday. Had a wonderful time of fellowship and we had enough people there that we were basically done by noon, which was awesome. Um, so the, the Clarks are, are over the moon. They're, they're so thrilled with this and uh, really wanted me to make sure that their thanks and gratitude was known to all who participated for that. And we'll look forward to other times when we can do that. If you have a need uh, at your place for uh, some uh, for you know, many hands making light work kind of situation, if there's things on the property that uh, you need some help with, uh, do not hesitate to, to ask. We can put together other work days and come alongside uh, and help each other in some of these practical matters, not just... Uh, it's important to pray for one another, of course, and do those sorts of things. Hospitality in general, uh, we will always delight in. But sometimes we think, oh, well, I can do this. I don't want to bother anybody. Well, let's, let's get used to bothering each other on some of these things so that we can all uh, make good use of our time and serve one another in the name of Christ. All right, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 John once again. First John, I'm going to begin reading as uh, we started this passage uh, a couple weeks ago. I'll begin reading at verse 26, and then I'll read on through chapter 3 and verse 10. As we are speaking here of abiding without deceit. Abiding without deceit. Having that thought in mind, will you stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word? 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, and then reading on into chapter 3. John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness 
is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God adds his reading, his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So, two weeks ago, we began looking at this passage. And uh, we noted a couple of things. First of all, that we're all abiding in something, somewhere. Um, Abide here is used many times. It simply means to remain. Deceivers, as we see in this passage, appear to remain in Christ, but they're actually remaining in something else entirely. And we do not wish to be deceivers. We do not wish to be numbered among those who name the name of Jesus Christ, but at the day of judgment will stand before the throne and and hear those horrible words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's easy to deceive ourselves, is it not? I mean, we come to a place uh, that is conducive to worship. We We're in the fellowship of God's saints. We sing our hymns. We read the scriptures. You dutifully uh, sit uh, and listen to sermons and all those things. And yet many have done those things in every time. And those who are not. Because for those of you that have not been here since the very beginning, one of the things that precipitated this letter was the fact that there was a a deceiving party. There was the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at some of those heresies that were going on during this time. Some said he had a body, some said he didn't. Some said he was somewhere in the middle, uh, kind of this mishmash of, 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 of spirit and flesh, all contrary to what God had to say. And they were pulling people away and bringing division into the church. So... John, in a way, is picking up that theme again about these deceivers. And though he's not focusing so much on the, the person and work of Jesus Christ here, he's looking more at the, the, the outcome or the evidence that is, that, uh, is present, uh, uh, which is going to flow out of the reality of the state of your heart, whether you're really the Lord's or not. But a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, the, uh, the first point or the foundational, the foundational thought here that is spoken of in chapter 2 and verse 27, and then also at the end of the passage, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, speaking of the Lord's abiding in you and the necessity of his abiding in you. And we remember commented about <clears throat> the remarkable um, thought really, that the Lord uh, inspired John to start with this concept of the Lord's abiding in us. You know, though I think as we got into it, we came to see that it really wasn't so surprising after all. Again, we can walk through life going through the motions and doing some of the things that uh, we Uh, began to talk about last time as well and we'll continue to talk about today in terms of what our lives look like externally and what are the things going on uh, with us from day to day. 
and not really know the Lord, not be operating on the foundation of his work first in us, his abiding in us. As he abides in us, we looked at this last time, um, abiding in us to instruct us, abiding, uh, abiding in us to not just give us knowledge, but also to sanctify us, imparting his very nature to us, regenerating us, adopting us, making us his own. So that the things that we do in our lives are then indicative of the reality of the relationship that we have with God and not just so much lip service. As we move toward the center of the passage, also uh, in chapter 2, verse 27, uh, on through verse 29, and then uh, in chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, the, the, the focus then shifts to, all right, now the, the Lord is abiding in you. The Lord's teaching you. He's sanctifying you. He's setting you apart unto himself. Now here's what is incumbent upon you to do, and that is you abide in the Lord. And we noticed uh, there at the end of chapter two, the necessity of abiding in obedience to what you've been taught. We're gonna see uh, how that ties in uh, here with the uh, latter uh, part of this section in just a little bit. Uh, And then we talked about uh, abiding in confidence in him and with the reference to the second coming here so that when we stand before him, we will not be ashamed In fact, we will abide in honor before him, which is the opposite of that shame. See that in verse 28. What a a blessing. You know, if it weren't for the Lord's abiding in us to begin with, would we be able to stand before him with confidence and honor? No, we would not. I mean, it may even be hard for us as we look at our lives and we know the failings that we have. It could be a tendency to think, oh Lord, how could I ever lift up my head before you? Everywhere you see in the scriptures when, when holy, righteous people come into the presence of God, they're on their faces before him. But I rejoice that in those cases, we also see the Lord saying, basically, get up and look at me. I'm thankful that he does that for us. So that when we think about abiding without deceit, see, again, we're not deceivers. We're not saying we should not be deceivers. I pray that we're not deceivers, that we're just giving lip service and saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to do all these things, God. No, those things need to spring out of the reality of a relationship with him. And when that that relationship is there, then our abiding is in integrity and honesty and not deceit. And that is what John is urging us to. And we really see that then as we um, get to verse 29 and then to chapter three, verses four through eight. The focus of these verses really could be summed up in the word holiness. The word holiness uh, I know I'm skipping something if you're following along the notes. I'm coming back to it. Just, I just decided to skip it right now. So we're going to go to holiness. Holiness has the idea of setting something apart. Something is set apart if it's holy. And in this passage, there are kind of two sides to this holiness coin that are being explored. One is that 
you and I, as his children, are set apart uh, by God to be his children. He is the one who has made that happen. He's the one who has first uh, moved to abide in us. But there's the other side of it is also evident in this passage, and that is you are set apart, you are made known. The reality of your relationship is manifested and made clear by your actions as his child. So the one side, we're set apart by God to be his child, and then we're set, up, and then we're set apart to act like it uh, as his child should rightfully act. Now, let's talk about this phrase, practice righteousness, which is repeated a few times in this passage. <clears throat> Literally, this, uh, the word practice is actually not a, very, not a very complicated word in the original language. It simply means doing. Uh, we talk about, you know, uh, we're going to do life or we're going to do, you know, we kind of have some of those cliches um, in modern times here, modern English. But this is, we're, this is about doing righteousness. Doing righteousness. And that doing of righteousness demonstrates the genuineness of your knowledge of God, this passage says to us. The word practice is, uh, might be one that, I mean, we read it and it's common. And if you've read this, if you've read this book many times, you may not even, it may not even register on the Richter scale in your mind as far as uh, making an impression. But why the word practice? Because it's this idea of an ongoing doing. Couldn't you just say that? Well, you could. Uh, but in English, the word practice can have a couple of different meanings. One of them is, you know, you keep trying and trying and trying <laughs> until you get it right kind of thing. Um, though I know in, in, the, in the fire service, we talk a lot about uh, something called muscle memory. And when you go and you drill and you go to, to practice the various skills, if you practice it poorly, it doesn't help you very much. You need to practice it doing it correctly so that it becomes a muscle memory. Um, if uh, you compare it to uh, the field of law, we talk about a law practice. Um, Actually, you get that in the medical field as well, right? Practice of medicine. Why do we use that term? Of course, there's a lot of jokes made at the expenses of attorneys and doctors, right? Yeah, maybe someday you'll get it right kind of thing. But that's not what it means. Um, and, and I think the definition I've got here is a, <clears throat> came from a, an article called The Practice of Law uh, that I found online, which I, nice, succinct definition. I, basically, I, I Googled, why call it practice? And um, here was the, the practice of law is called a practice because it involves constant attention, reflection, and evolution, as in it needs to progress as new things are known, uh, new precedents, new laws, new whatever. You constantly have to be learning and constantly be putting into practice those things. And I, from, with that in mind then, if we think about this practicing righteousness in the same way. Think about it in terms of, those of you who've been married a while, um, 
or, or were married for a long time, just think about when you started off married. It was great, wasn't it? Everything was perfect. Your spouse was perfect. Okay? And presumably they thought the same about you. Uh, of course, we eat together. The more you learn about each other, the more adjustments that you, you make. Uh, I, how many of you have ever in that marriage relationship go along and go, I had no idea that you liked Rocky Road ice cream. You know, I mean, it's just things like, oh, well, I guess I'll go buy some. I didn't think you liked that. You know, th- and we get ideas about stuff like that, you know. Well, that's just a minor, not, you know, inconsequential sort of thing. But those things also happen on more major issues. On You learn about what, he, what each other uh, actually believes about this, that, or the other thing. Or, or responses emotionally to things that you took for granted that now you didn't understand why, for a long time, maybe you didn't understand why somebody did this, that, or the other. And like, oh, kind of have a, an epiphany. <laughs> oh, the, now I get it. Now I get it why that bothers you so much. And you make adjustments. So that's this idea of practicing righteousness. The more we get to know God, the more we come to understand His character, the more we come to understand about His Word and what it has to say about the standards for our living, thinking, and being. And the more that the Lord grants us His grace and the more that we grow in maturity, the more that we grow in our love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be an ongoing if you'll allow me to use the term, evolution of our love and practice of righteousness before God that demonstrates the reality of our actually knowing. It is that, that one man could die for me, but he did. And by your grace, I believe that. And cry out for forgiveness, for regeneration, though even though at that point, if we're crying out for that, that's already happened. But uh, as far as uh, really being converted and, and brought into his kingdom, it's a pretty simple thing, actually. But one that is so deeply profound that we will spend eternity delving into its depths and practicing righteousness for eternity. All right, so now that's all introductory to this point. Let's talk about what it means to abide in righteousness. What does that look like? First of all, righteousness is lawfulness. Now, in verse 4 of chapter 3, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Well, if sin is lawlessness, then righteousness is lawfulness. We've used this definition many times here in this congregation when we speak of righteousness as being defined as conformity to a standard. Whatever that standard is, secular or sacred, we can say something is righteous if it is a plumb wall, if it's, if it's square, if, if it's following by whatever rules are going on um, that are put into place. To that extent, it's righteous because it's conforming to that. It is a, you know, it's living by the rules.
compare that with what we saw earlier in verses 27 and 28 with abiding in obedience. Obedience to, to what you've been taught. That really goes along with that very, very nicely uh, as we abide in obedience. To be lawful, you know, um, we live in a day of do-it-yourself kinds of stuff. We live in an Ikea world. Um, I love some of those memes on Facebook about Ikea where um, got a great deal on on bookshelf from Ikea, some assembly required, and it's a pile of sawdust. You know. But when you get these, you get these, these um, <laughs> pieces of furniture or, or whatever else, um, it come, they come with instructions. Sometimes the instructions make allowances for creativity, but most of the time they don't. Um, and, and what's really frustrating is that when they don't make allowances for creativity, but they were written originally in a different language than English and then translated, sometimes you have to get creative in figuring out what exactly they're saying. And sometimes that doesn't always work well. Sometimes, if my experience is any, uh, any, uh, any indication, you have to take things apart and start all over again. And, but sometimes that happens for me because I fail to read, even though it says right at the beginning, read all the instructions before you begin. All right, honestly, who all does that? I mean, oh, put your hand down, put your hand down. <laughs> right? I mean, we look at it and we think, hey, I know what to do here. It's a bookcase for crying out loud. How hard can it be? And we need to read the instructions uh, ahead of time and be willing to submit ourselves unto them faithfully. And if we don't, uh, now a lot of times we look at some of the Pharisees in the New Testament that Jesus interacts with and we get rather judgmental about them. And when, when guys say things like, well, I've kept all these things from my youth, that annoys us. And we want to look down our nose at them because they're trusting in those works. First of all, I shouldn't look down your nose at them, but it, it's right to call into question their, their, their understanding of righteousness. But the fact is, I wonder how many of us could stand before the Lord and in good conscience state, say with Job, Lord, you know I am blameless. I've kept all your law. I mean, to just state, state it uh, in, in honesty, could any of us do that? So before we look too harshly at those Pharisees of uh, and scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. Maybe we'll look at ourselves. Because, now, sure, I mean, they shouldn't have been trusting in their works, but they took a whole lot more pains to live according to what they understood God's law to be than we ever do, in many cases. For that, I would commend them. It's just they had their faith in the wrong place. And they added to God's word with their own. 
get all of that. But let's just get back to the attitude and the intention. And we could have a little bit more of that attitude of intention, of a desire to, to, to do righteousness in every respect. To be able to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, you know that, that I have endeavored to keep everything that you've, you've called upon me to do. Of course, since we can't do that, the only other op- option we have is to say, Lord, Jesus did this to us. He is the one who appeared to live righteously and fulfill all things before the Father so that that righteousness can be credited to our account. Take a look, if you will, please, over in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Familiar passage, I trust, to everyone. While you're turning there. By the way, sometimes I'm repeating myself deliberately because we continue to have some glitches in the live stream transmission. So when I notice that, I repeat myself just in case something got missed. So if you... Those... Yeah, at verse uh, 12, and then moving on through uh, ver- to the end of the chapter, verse uh, 21. Tremendous passage, which we're not going to take time to dig into all, verse by verse. I just want to point out a couple of highlights here. But this really speaks of this whole federal aspect of both our relationship our fallen nature because of our relationship to Adam, our first head, and the restoration of our souls through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam, our second federal head, who faithfully uh, uh, completed all things in righteousness. Verse 12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, uh, that demonstrates that relationship that we have in Adam. We didn't eat of the forbidden fruit, did we? We weren't there. But Adam's uh, fallen condition passed on to us, and the guilt of that was imputed to our accounts. Federally speaking, we died in him, and we stand justly condemned in him. And and this passage goes on to say it's not just a matter of theory. It's demonstrated by the fact that we all sin. And we, we, we demonstrate the truth of, of what is being said here. But take a look at verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross, his righteousness then is uh, is imputed to our accounts as God calls us out of darkness. And now we're back in, uh, you can turn back over to 1 John. In verse 8 of 1 John, chapter 2, or 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been... Uh, sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So earlier in the chapter, that word appeared, appeared, speaking about the second coming. Here in verse 8, it speaks of the first coming. Jesus Christ came to accomplish the foundation so that at his second coming, we would be able to stand in confidence without without shame. And notice, so we stand, yes, on the one hand, 
righteousness is external obedience, and, uh, but really obedience from the heart should be there. Righteousness also has the idea of something that is imputed to us because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags apart from Jesus Christ. His righteousness is what counts. And so when that's credited to our account, uh, then we have standing before him. So you've got both of those aspects of righteousness. But this, both of those things spring out of a relationship. Righteousness truly is a relational concept. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That's speaking about relationship. Righteousness is not just, you know, mindlessly going through or even mindfully going through something without regard for the person who's put those rules into place. I'm just going to do this, whatever. Now, you might build your Ikea bookshelf that way because you don't care about, you know, whoever assembled the kit. But when it comes to assembling the life that God has given to you, it is in relationship to Him. One of the things that we were talking about with the kids in the communicant class this morning, we're talking about the decrees of God, and how God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And these eternal decrees, though, are all, uh, uh, they all have an impact upon the way that we live before him and carry out the plan. That's a decree. But we carry out the plan that he has placed in front of us in our little part of it. It only makes any sense to us at all if we strive to carry out that plan with an acknowledgement of the relationship that is ours in him, that he called us to and made provision for from before the foundation of the earth. And because he's infinite, it applies to everything. If we haven't seen him, we haven't known him, we have no relationship with him, then, then all of that obedience is just so much window dressing. And if there's no relationship, the imputation makes no sense whatsoever. <clears throat> it would be like the Lord just taking some random person, like, like us just taking some random person off the street uh, who was perhaps charged with a crime, but we have no knowledge, we have no, any, no knowledge about anything. It's like, oh, well, okay. Um, well, okay, it could be kind of like all too many presidential pardons lately. Without any foundation for anything uh, that has anything to do with righteousness, it's just whim in our lives. A relationship that will not lead to, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, but will lead to, welcome into the joy of your Lord. So that righteousness all has to be founded upon the Lord's abiding in us and the reality of his life in us and our seeing and knowing him. And that brings us to the last point regarding righteousness here. That righteousness is revealing. It's revealing. Look at verses 29 and then also 7 and 8 of chapter 3. 229, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness 
has been born of him. And then seven and eight says, little children, let no one deceives you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. A key focus here uh, of these verses is about being born of God. Righteousness is not something you do in a corner, beloved. There's, there's too much of a, of, a, of a tendency or desire that's often expressed in our day and age of, I'll do what I want. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. Don't consider what anybody has to say or think about you. Don't, it doesn't matter. Um, well, there's an element, like most things, there's an element of truth in that. Ultimately, we stand uh, before God, and he's the one to whom we answer. So if you're saying that in the context of my ultimate judge is not, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry over here, but it's God himself, okay, fine. But that really is the point here, is that as we stand before God, uh, who is really born of God is going to be evident. Righteousness or the lack of it will reveal where you really stand before God. You can talk about being born of God. You can talk about being a Christian all you want. But if you don't live righteously according to his word, you're a liar, John says, and other places in this book. And you don't know God. And you're in danger of hellfire. And if you constantly practice sinning, and it doesn't mean sinless perfection here. It's not what he's talking about. But if you make the doing, that ongoing practice, that ongoing uh, lifestyle of living contrary according to God's word, then you're of the devil and not of God. And righteousness, is the, it's the watershed issue that demonstrates the reality. Didn't say enters into the reality, but demonstrates the reality of your relationship with the Lord. You're either going to be with the one who, you either belong to the one who promotes sin or you belong to the one who destroys sin. There's no middle ground. And when we look at that, suddenly this abiding in righteousness takes on a whole different character, doesn't it? It's not just a matter of, well, I'm just going to mind my P's and Q's, and as long as I do mostly good, that'll be fine. Um, no. It's, it's all, it's, this is a 100% all-in or all-out deal. Well, I thought I was going to finish this today. Nope. So we're going to focus on verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3, God willing, next week. Uh, I'll give you a little hint if you didn't already pick it up from the outline there. But genuine abiding, abiding without deceit, abide, that kind of abiding transforms you. And we'll look at the nature of that transfer, transformation as the Lord allows us in his good providence next week. Well, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your mercies. Thank you that you do in such a way that it's evident that we are yours. 
walking in obedience and confidence and honor and righteousness before you. Lord, as we walk with that kind of integrity, then let our testimony take on credibility uh, in the world around us. Credibility that um, can only come when what we say matches what we do. Lord, help us to do righteousness in every part of our lives. Give us joy in that. Help us not to grow weary in doing well. And let us be used effectively by you to uh, bring unity and joy in the church and the light of the gospel to those without. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as uh, we uh, continue to ready ourselves to come into the Lord's presence around his table, if you'll take your Psalter hymnals one more time, we'll turn to uh, 69b, Psalm 69. Thy loving kindness, Lord, is good and free. 69b. As you're able, please stand with me.